Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Hey, if you weren't here last week, I don't typically say this, but if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week. Um, If you were here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week and forward it. I really feel it was a word in season. Um, God dropped that strongly in me actually a while ago. I've been working on it for a while. And so actually it's kicking off a series, the three parters. We got two more this morning and next week called Anchored. And, and just the idea of, of living in the times that we're living in in 2020 uh, right now in this moment uh, is not missed by God. It may be, take us by surprise, but, but nothing takes God by surprise. In fact, his word is full of uh, instruction and information and inspiration for any moment in life. And we can always go and find a now word in the word. Amen. Doesn't matter what's happening in life, what you're going through, there's always a now word and the word, and it's the truth. And so uh, we, we dug out some things yesterday, looking at the Apostle Paul's journey uh, on the way to Rome. He was a prisoner. It was in a horrible, horrible storm. Uh, we likened that into the storms that we face in life and found some very appropriate principles to navigate the own, the, our own storms, the storms in our life, and, and saw how we can uh, find ways, apply principles, drop anchors, and be able to um, not just make it through the storm, but thrive in the middle love it. And uh, again, as Pastor Dave said, I said, I just want to encourage you, the anchor will hold. Amen? Because we are anchored to the immovable one. And we talked last week, we are anchored to the finished work of the cross. And we're anchored to the power of the resurrection, which we'll get uh, to next week. And so this morning, I want to I pick up, not the same story, but the same idea, being anchored in the midst of a storm. Uh, I have an anchor here. I'll get out in just a moment again, just to help illustrate it. But let me tell you about the storm I want to talk and feel led to talk about today. And it's very interesting, the timing, because I felt this a while ago and, and had put this down kind of on my calendar, my preaching calendar. And then now here we find ourselves experiencing some great generosity. So really, I want to talk about the, the anchor of generosity um, in the midst of a financial storm. There's a way through. God has a plan for your finances. Now, it's never really popular to talk about finances in church, and, and I realize that, and, but it's necessary, and that's why it's unpopular. <laughs> the Bible has more to say on finances and God's plan for your money than any other subject in the scripture almost, and so if he's talking about it so much, we need to talk about it more than we currently are. I feel like it's an appropriate time today. Two reasons. Number one, uh, we are in a storm. We are facing pandemic, uh, all kinds of things associated with that. One of the aspects of things that are happening in this time is uh, we're experiencing financial storms. I don't, I don't know what that looks like in your personal life, but many of you are. This country is, in some regard, uh, huge numbers of unemployment, stock market up and down. An election always makes things a little crazy in and of itself financially. And so there's a lot of uncertainty right now and finances. There's a lot of um, uh, just disappointment, perhaps fear you've experienced. Many people I know at this church have been furloughed or laid off because of closures. Now we see surges coming and we hear things like, there could be lockdowns again and closures again. And I know that causes a lot of anxiety and worry in people's life. And I, and I want to just say this morning, the anchor will hold. God has an anchor uh, in the midst of our financial storms, whatever that is. And it is, it is I, I didn't know exactly how, which one to say the anchor, so I'm going to bounce around a little bit. The anchor of generosity. Generosity is an anchor when you talk about the things of God. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the anchor of being a cheerful giver as we look into the scripture and And it sounds so funny because in the midst of a financial storm or crisis, the the last thing we would think about is being generous, but yet that should be the first thing we think about always, regardless of abundance or lack, according to the word of God. And so that's what we're going to base our our, um, message today on, is being anchored 
to the idea of generosity as we see in the word of God. So turn to 2 Corinthians 4 me. 2 Corinthians 9, 5 through 11. I just, my heart today is just to help us navigate a financial crisis or storm, if you will, by being anchored to the immovable one. Now, the interesting thing about timing, and this is why I said that too, is also you just saw on the screen that this is a very generous church. So this is in no way a response or trying to motivate additional giving. And so you are a very generous church. I don't know anybody as generous as y'all. And so getting the names from the kids or supporting all the other things and outreaches that are coming up. It's also the giving season, meaning that we're also looking to be uh, generous with family and friends uh, as we're walking out things like Christmas is coming and, you know, Thanksgiving, et cetera, et cetera. So here the apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth, actually second Corinthians. So it's his second letter. And interestingly enough, between his first and second letter, the church in Corinth, which he established has been very involved in, um, has kind of not, has kind of severed the relationship with Paul. What has happened is that other preachers and teachers have come in to the church at Corinth and has not said good things about Paul. In fact, they have said negative things about Paul, perhaps jealous of the relationship, perhaps wanting to endear themselves greater to the church than Paul was, having maybe a position or a voice greater, of greater importance than Paul. And nonetheless, that the relationship has grown a little distant because of that. So Paul is writing another letter to the church in Corinth in response to try and encourage and restore his relationship. So let me give you let me give you that as context. Paul's writing Second Corinthians to kind of restore and encourage them and restore that relationship. And in the thirteen chapters in Second Corinthians, two of them he takes the time to talk about finances, which is really interesting. He's in, he's encouraging them financially, if you will. We'll see that. And um, he is taking the time to address with two chapters um, where they need to be in their own well-being financially. So a little background. Let's start verse 9, verses 5 through 11. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift that you had promised. Let me give you just a little bit more. So uh, the church in Corinth heard about the uh, challenges of the Christians in Jerusalem. They were being persecuted. They were being executed. Their, their businesses were being uh, shut down. They were being stolen from. They were being mistreated. And the church in Corinth heard about the plights of the Christian Jews. And so they had pledged to gather together support and send to the Christians in Jerusalem to help them. And they didn't do it. So Paul's saying, uh, I, I'm, I'm getting you ready for this so it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. We'll talk about that in a moment. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Hold on to that. God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, if I was to identify the main anchor today, it would be being a cheerful giver is the anchor to the storm of finances. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every or all good work. At is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Many people will come to Christ, the cheerful giver 
This is an anchor for our storm and a financial storm. We need to let down the anchor of being a cheerful giver, being properly anchored in a storm. And so Paul's writing to this church and he's writing and and to repair relationship, but also to encourage them in doing it. And so he takes these two chapters. In fact, chapters 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9 are probably the premier uh, chapters, the premier um, scriptures in the, in, in the Bible about finances. If you want to do a study, if you will be on this, which I would encourage, spend time there. So he says, I'm, I want to prepare you ahead of time. So when I show up, it's not like I'm, I'm, you're giving to, to go ahead and fund what you said you would. It's not like an exaction. An exaction is something you feel you have to give with an expectation. So he's saying, I don't want you to give because you have an expectation to get something in return. He's making it very clear initially. I'm coming to you. I'm sending some people to ahead of time. So you don't think when I come, I'm asking you to give something to get something in return. He says, I don't want to show up and you to pay, feel it's like a payment or or, or you're going to get something in return. I want this to come out of the generosity of your heart. There's a key principle for us. We don't give to get, we give to give. Amen. We give to give. That is our life. It is giving. He goes on, whosoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, bountifully will reap bountifully. Then he says, God loves a cheerful giver. Paul is telling us that it thrills God when we give. Now, now, God loves everyone. God loves a cheerful giver. Wait a minute. I thought God loves everyone, but apparently there's something a little bit more exciting to God, thrilling to God when he finds a cheerful giver. I don't know. But I know he loves everybody in this room equally. I know he loves everybody at home equally. We are of infinite value to God. But Paul is alluding that there is a special thrill that the God of the universe gets when we delight in giving. And I believe it's because he sees himself. He sees himself and those who are made in the image of God. God loves cheerful giving. He takes notice of it. He never misses it. He loves it. He loves giving to give. The question is why? And I want to give you three observations from this passage that I believe why. In these two chapters, Paul dedicates to money. And the reality is money remains one of the most dominant aspects of our living. And money is one of the things that we think about the most. And God cares about your life and has a plan for your giving. So three points, three observations. I'll say it this way. Three anchors that will help us understand that God loves and why God loves a cheerful giver. Let me give you number one. God is a cheerful giver. (laughs) That's a great place to start right there. And aren't you glad? And really, I heard one amen. Thank you over here. We should have had a room full of amens. God is a cheerful giver. Aren't you glad? God is a cheerful giver. Where would we be if he was not? We all celebrate the fact that God is so generous and God is so giving. God loves cheerful givers because he is a cheerful giver. And the reason God loves cheerful givers is because he is one. Do you know what we are made in? We are made in his image, the Bible says, when we're born again. Do you know what he loves? His image. (laughs) That sounds kind of weird, right? God loves his image. Is he standing in front of the mirror all day? What does that look like? God loves his image because his image is perfect. And so he loves that. And we're made in his image. We're recreated. And so when God sees himself in you, it thrills him. And is that not true? I love that about my kids. I love it when my kids do things and they're good things and I see myself in them. And then the bad things, they see my wife. But that doesn't matter right now. And so it's like, God loves, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can say it. She's not going to preach for a while. But it's, uh, when you act like God, he loves it. He loves when he sees himself in you. I love that about God. And we know that in Hebrews 12 too, we talked a few weeks ago for, that, that, that God is a cheerful giver. Jesus said for the joy set before him, 
the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He gave his life cheerfully, willingly. Let's take a look at the very last verse in chapter 9. Chapter 9, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Last verse ends this way. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift in the ESV. Indescribable, inexpressible gift. For those of you who believe in Jesus, we need to understand that our generosity, yours and my generosity, does not come for ourselves, from ourselves. We're not naturally prone to be generous. It's our reborn selves, recreated in his image, a new nature that is prone to generosity. It's because of the work of the cross. We don't conjure up or generate generosity. It's like, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be generous today and just over and over again until I talk myself into it. Generosity is simply responding to a God that has already been generous to you. And so thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's where it all starts. His grace is so amazing. How many of you, uh, if you've been in church a long time, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. How many of you remember testimony night? We're not ever having one of those, by the way. So just, okay. okay. I remember testimony night growing up as a kid. And what would happen is every New Year's Eve, my dad would have a service from nine to midnight. And then at midnight, we would have communion, right? And I hated those. It was like never ending. And, and it was uh, all of a sudden you'd have testimony night. Person after person get up there. And here's what they'd say. Praise the Lord, church. And everybody would say... Praise the Lord, right? And then say, I wouldn't be here if it had not been for God, right? I would be dead on the side of the road if God had not met my need. I was broke, but God provided. I was broken, but God restored. I don't know where, I, I know where I've been and where I'm going, and I thank God he's got good for me ahead of me. You know what testimony night was? It was everybody talking about the grace of God in their lives and how thankful they were. We're thankful for God working in our life. One thing that I wish I would have appreciated more is the fact that God's grace is so amazing and it's available for all of us. God is a great God. It's real. His grace is real. And today we're here talking about money and money in a financial storm. And your perspective on money starts with what he's done. His grace is so amazing. What's the inexpressible gift of God? Right here. The cross, the finished work of the cross is an inexpressible gift for God to mankind. His grace is so amazing. And so we can put our anchor around the cross, the immovable object, and know that the anchor will hold in the midst of any storm. The inexpressible, indescribable, this is tangled in a knot gift from God is, is enough. That's enough. It's enough. Praise the Lord. It is enough. And let me, the anchor will hold. The anchor will hold. See, here's what I think. Here's what I think about this. This to most people is a symbol of sacrifice. It's a, it's a symbol of suffering. It's, it's a symbol of your salvation. But listen, it's also a symbol of his supply. It's a symbol of God's supply. For God so loved the world, he what? gave himself so we can drop our anchor of cheerful giving to the supply of God and know that the anchor holds no matter what happens. It doesn't change. It is the inexpressible gift of God. The cross is also a symbol of supply. 
He supplied the answer for your life. He supplied the answer for your sin. He supplied the answer for your eternity. And I hear people talk about all the time, and I don't mean any disrespect by this. I hear people talk about, I don't have enough to give. I don't make enough to tithe. But if the Lord will, if the Lord will what? If he'll what? Because look at the inexpressible gift. You mean the cross? See, we can give from an abundance or we can give from a lack, but... I give not because I want to get, but because of what he's already done, because of what he's already gave. And so I'm going to use these temporary pieces of paper called money, and I'm going to use them to express my gratitude to God. Second Corinthians eight, seven says this, second Corinthians eight, seven says this, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Hey, you're really good at faith. You're really good at serving. You're really good at praying. You're really good at groups and discussion over the word of God. He says, but I want you to excel. I want you to be excellent. I want you to be far above and beyond in the act of grace. Do you know what he's calling an act of grace? Giving money? That's what he's calling an act of grace. He's calling giving money. The giving of your money is an act of grace. He's saying our giving should be an act or response to what God has given to us in his grace. So the flip side of that, if we do not freely give our money, do we know what God has freely given us? The inexpressible gift. It's an act of grace. I believe we are to excel in this act of grace. And your generosity is an act of gratitude and gratefulness and grace. Now understand the context of Paul's second letter, as we already discussed to the Corinthian church. It's a letter of encouragement. And so Paul takes two chapters in the middle to talk about giving. And he says this, if you'll be generous, you'll be encouraged. This is a letter of encouragement. And I'm taking two chapters in my letter to encourage you. If you do this, you'll be encouraged. You will be encouraged if you act grateful with your finances. The anchor will hold. The anchor will hold. You're really good at a lot of things he's telling them, but I want you to be really good at giving. The anchor will hold. And we're in that giving season. You've been so generous with the outreach. You're generous with the giving tree. And I want you to remind you that it is a very spiritual act of worship. And you'll be encouraged. I don't know about you, but we've given to that, that outreach. We've given from prayer. We've given finances. We've given from being there. And I can't watch it enough. Not to, not to anything. It just it lifts my spirit. I hope that you all got a little choked up at that and because your part you had to play in that. You're encouraged when those things happen. For God so loved the world he gave. So understand what you love, you give to. What you love, you give to. 2 Corinthians 8.8 8 says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. This might step on a few toes right here, but here's what Paul's saying in the midst of these chapters and explaining and encouraging about this. He said that to this church, he said, you said a year ago that you loved the Christians in Jerusalem and you were going to give to them. You didn't. So I want you to prove it. That's what that scripture said. You didn't do it. So now you need to go back and do it. I know that you're a great church. I know that you have great prayers and, and the church would say, but we pray for him every day. And Paul would say, that's great. And I'm, and I'm thankful for that. He says, but you want to prove your love to them? Then do what you said you were going to do and be generous towards them. I mean, that's what the word says right there. Paul didn't pull any punches. 
The truth is, I can t- <laughs> the truth is, I can tell what you love if you just give me your bank statement. I mean, that's what he's saying right there. Now, if you look at my bank statement, and, and you'd see I like to eat out. <laughs> I mean, you can judge me or pray for me, you know what? Or you can take me out on your bank statement. That'd be even better, probably. But you don't have to take any amount of time to find out on my bank statement. I just love to eat out. But, and you would dig a little deeper and you'd find where I like to eat. Now, if you looked at our bank statement, you'd see my wife, I'm picking up my wife today. My wife loves Sonic drinks. You'll see on our bank statement, Fairway Mortgage, Sonic, 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 MBU, Sonic, Sonic, HEB, Sonic, Sonic, Tree of Life, Sonic, Sonic, Sonic. Now, she loves Sonic ice, really. I mean, if somebody comes across a used ice machine, I'd be your best friend forever, but a Sonic ice machine. And uh, she gets two drinks every time, a Route 44 a Diet Dr. Pepper and a Route 44 peach mango water. And uh, you can dig a little deeper, you can find, the, pro- the point is, we can find out what you love by looking at what you give to. That's what Paul's saying right there. And so you'll find all kinds of things. Here's what you'll find. You'll find, you'll find our daughter's names all over our bank statements. You'll find other names. On, you'll find Tree of Life, Audible de Vida on our bank statements. You'll find Desert Valley Church where Pastor Josh pastors, Elevate Church, Pastor Shane where Pastor Cody's preaching this morning, Raymond Bible. You'll find Mission of Ark of Salvation in San Marcos. We love the local church. So you'll find that there. What you love, you give to, and what you give to, you end up loving more. Why do we give? We give because God, what God has done for us, and we love God, and we're so grateful for him, and we're learning to love what God loves. So Jesus says, I'm building my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And so Jesus loves his church, and he's building his church. I love what he's building, and so I want to build what he's building. I want to give to what he's building, and the more I give to what he's building, the more I fall in love with what he's building. So you want to be a cheerful giver, so you understand, you drop the anchor of God is a cheerful giver. You also understand you have to drop the anchor of this one, God is able. God is able. Drop the anchor of God is able. God is able. What are you worried about? God is able. What are you losing sleep about? God is able. What are you afraid of? God is able. What are you stressed about? God is able. But tomorrow, but God is able today. God is able tomorrow. The stock market, the new president, but God is able. Drop the anchor of God is able. When you look at the next phrase, we saw this, for God loves a cheerful giver. The very next phrase is God is able. That's not an accident. God loves a cheerful giver and God is able. When you start to delight in giving, maybe it's because that you've been through something, you've experienced something, and you've come to the all-important conclusion that God is able. And now it's a delight to give. I'm not able, but God is able. The anchor will hold. Tragedy in your life, understand that God is able, the anchor will hold. Layoffs and furloughs, God is able, the anchor will hold. I give because I'm not able, but God is able, and I trust that God is gonna take care of all my needs. The anchor will hold. And every time I'm letting my brain know, every time I'm letting my money know, every time I'm letting my circumstances know, and every time I'm letting the devil know, God is able and the anchor will hold. Amen. Second Corinthians 9, 8. Second Corinthians 9, 8. This is after God loves a cheerful giver. The very next words are, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having, listen, all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. What is God able of? All. 
Is there anything God is not able at? No. What's included in all? All. <laughs> and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Says that everything that you need, all my needs are met according to his riches and glory. Let me just explain the scripture just for a moment. It says you'll have all sufficiency. You'll have all sufficiency in all things. If we can go back, you'll have an, having all sufficiency in all things. That, that word sufficiency to me is really a key word here. Another word for sufficiency is contentment. Now, contentment is not based on an amount. It's, it, it's a feeling of satisfaction. Contentment doesn't mean that you drive a certain car. Doesn't mean you live in a certain house. Doesn't mean you have a certain level of income. It's a satisfaction or fulfillment that you can have a satisfaction or fulfillment. And it goes on to say this. Listen how this, how, let me re- reread the verse for you. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you having all sufficiency or contentment in all things at all times. And then, and then it just blows up. It just explodes that you may abound. It just explodes right there in every good work. But the key to the abounding is the contentment. You have to be content before you abound. And, and that's a big deal because in, in this aspect of our lives around money, it seems like we are living a less than abounding life because we seem to live in a less than content state with our finances. So if we're not content, we're discontent. And discontent breeds some things in our life. So if we're not content in our finances and discontentment steps in, then we never have enough and then we become negative. And so have you ever heard someone and says like, hey man, how's it going? And they're like, oh, it's all right, at least I got a job. Well, praise the Lord, you know, God's a good and faithful job. Yeah, at least I'm going to heaven one day, can't get there soon enough, right? We come to this place of discontentment, we start talking negative, we start seeing everything negative, and we, we live a life of, of barely just enough. We, we, we give just enough in our job because we get paid just enough to make it, and, and we just give enough effort in our marriage to stay married, and, and we just have enough friends, just enough friends, or we go to church just enough time to feel like we're a part of it. And what it does, it breeds this discontentment and continues to breed upon itself. But the Bible says that when you're a cheerful giver and you're anchored to the immovable one, that the anchor will hold. And contentment is a satisfaction that comes from God, not from this world's economy. Therefore, it does not matter what's happening around about you. And when you find yourself in a place of all sufficiency or satisfaction or contentment, then what happens is then you begin to abound in every good work because now you're not worried because of your discontentment, then you're able to dream again. You're able to have creative ideas again. You're able to be innovative again. Come on, somebody. When you are content, all of a sudden, the limits are taken off and now you see potential beyond your natural ability. And so he's saying when you're a cheerful giver and you understand that you're anchored to the immovable one because God is able, then you find yourself because of your giving at a place of satisfaction or contentment and then you can abound in every good work. Then you can abound in your marriage. Then you can abound at your job. Then you can abound. That's where new business ideas come from, new services, new products. Every good work. Because you have a contentment, not an amount, a contentment, a satisfaction, knowing that God is able. See, my contentment, my satisfaction is the ableness of God, not what I have or what I don't have. And then I come to a place of abounding creativity, dreams, ideas happening again and living out of the abundance of that. I love that. Paul's saying, if you have a practical you have, that Paul says, I have a practical way out of the mindset 
and mentality that, that, that of discontentment. And it actually starts with a posture of I'm going to give. So it starts this process that we just described. Because when you're in a statement of contentment, you begin to excel. You begin to take the lid off in things. And, and I love that idea in every good work. And we can't live with just enough mindset. They get a mindset of just enough or discontentment comes from that. And I want to encourage you, the anchor will hold. So God loves a cheerful giver because he's a cheerful giver because he wants you to know he's able. Ephesians 3.20, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. You want to be a cheerful giver, you need to believe. Number three, God gives seed to the sower. God gives seed to the sower. You got to drop the anchor of believing God gives seed to the sower. 2 Corinthians 9.10. 2 Corinthians 9.10. He who supplies seed to the sower, seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God gives seed to the sower. Drop the anchor believing God gives seed to the sower. A cheerful giver understands something about God's economy. God's economy is transcendent. It's no matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter what um, party is in the White House, if you will. It doesn't matter about the economy. God's economy is transcendent. If God can find a farmer that will sow seed, he will give you more seed so you can sow some seed. From the beginning of time, your heavenly father has been handing out seed to those who will sow. And so people will say, well, pastor, when the Lord starts blessing me, I'll start giving. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that came across hard or what. I didn't mean it that way. But what has he already done? And it's like, remember, he has. He's given the cross. He's given himself. He's given you forgiveness, a fresh start, a new beginning, taking away guilt, taking away shame, giving you a future in heaven as a son and daughter of God. So if you'll start, or if you'll set things into motion by sowing and reaping, you'll experience something you never experienced before. Now remember it said in verse 10, he will supply and he will multiply. I love that. Hey, because honestly, he will supply was enough for me, but multiply? Man, that's when it gets really good. Are you kidding me? You'll give it and it will take care of your needs and it will multiply. And the reason it will multiply is so you can give more away to be a blessing. You need the supply. You don't necessarily need the multiplication. And so you give it away. And the reason it'll multiply is so you can give more away. Be generous on every occasion. The word says, 2 Corinthians 8, 15. Paul quotes a quote from the Old Testament. Let's read it. Right in the middle of the passage is 8 and 9 on finances. As it is written, back in the Old Testament, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Who gathered much had nothing left over. Makes no sense to us. Whoever gathered little had no lack quote from the Old Testament. This is about God's provision for the children of Israel. When they came out of bondage from Egypt, when they crossed the Red Sea as he parted the waters and they wandered in the wilderness and they were complaining, we don't have anything to eat. And so God, the great provider, the one who loves, gave, 
gave them food every morning called manna. Manna was like a type of bread. And, and every morning they'd wake, wake up and there'd be manna on the ground for them to gather. And, and here's God's instruction. He said, every morning, go outside of your tent and gather only what you need for the day. But because those people back then were like us people today, uh, people would come out of their tent and dad would say, kids, go gather as much as you can. I know what they said, but just get the baskets, get all the baskets you can, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Get everything you can. But what would happen, because God gave instruction, gather what you need for the day is the next morning, everything extra over spoiled and had worms in it. So God was saying something to his people. He was trying to teach his people early on that your gathering will not save you, your God will. And, but he's not, your gathering will not save you, but your God will. The anchor will hold. And he's not talking about being wise and investing in savings and inheritance for your children and children's children. He's talking about replacing him as supply. He's talking about depending on something other than him or putting your trust in natural things instead of God. That's what he's talking about here. He says, your gathering will not save you, your God will. And so we need to understand that principle. God says, I'll provide. The anchor will hold. Do not hoard things thinking it will deliver you, save you, keep you safe or content. Don't let your money replace me. Don't let your stuff replace me. Trust me, the anchor will hold and I will care for you. So we will excel in the grace of giving and it will... It will show the world around us there's a God in heaven that cares for his children. I, mean, I like to believe, and that's maybe me, and I like to believe looking at that video and looking at that picture with all those cars there, that it says something to the world around us. That when the church can rise up and be so generous that really there's, maybe there's something more to what we realize that, that God's taking care of his people so God's people can take care of people. Thank God there's a church that's rising up in generosity. And I just want to thank you. I think you're the most generous people on the planet. And sometimes it's hard for me to bring a message like this because it's not like I, I don't believe you're being generous and I'm not trying to create income or whatever. I'm trying to give you the truth of God's word in the midst of a financial storm, how you need to be anchored to the, to the finished work of the cross and how our anchor is a cheerful giver. God, because God is a cheerful giver and, and, and because he is able and because... He, we reap what we sow. That's, we're anchored to him. But I want to say that when we can put out a, a tree with I don't know how many cards and they go in just a moment that we have to go ask for more. Thank you for your generosity. When you can see 1,200 families come and receive help. Thank you for your generosity. I believe, amen, I believe that this church, that this church is to excel in the grace of giving. Why? So we can give it away. So people will know that there's a God in heaven that loves his people and is using his people to love them and come to know him and then give thanks unto God. So they'll know about the finished work of the cross because of your generosity. I know that this church for almost 40 years, 39 and a half years or however many it's been now, has been anchored to the finished work of the cross. This, this church has excelled in the grace of giving and I believe we're just getting started. I believe we still have yet to see our biggest days of generosity ahead of us. I believe that we will excel in a greater measure, church. And I believe that if you come and be a part of this and a part of God's plan, financial plan, and anchor to the finished work of the cross, I believe you'll see it in your life. In fact, the way this church sees it is when the people in the church believe this principle and anchor to the finished work of the cross and become cheerful givers. And then a result of their blessing in their life as they bless the church and the church blesses the world. I believe it. I believe it. 
And I just want to thank you for being the most generous people I know. And is it okay for me to say, I want Tree to be known as a place that loves Jesus? Absolutely. That loves each other. You bet. But as a place that loves to give. And I want to say, Tree of Life, the anchor will hold. God is a good and faithful God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My heart, my hope today. I know sometimes talking about, well, probably most of the time talking about finances, to be honest with you, can be uncomfortable. I know that. That's why there's so much of it said and talked about in Scripture. But the truth of the word is the truth of the word. And the word works. And the anchor in your storm, the anchor in the financial storm that happens round about us, the anchor, we cannot control some of the things that happen round about us, but we can control our hold on the anchor attached to the immovable one. And for the storms of our life around finances, our anchor is being a cheerful giver in the midst of all of it, and the anchor will hold And why we know that that we're attached to the right thing is because God is a generous God. He is a cheerful giver. And and the cross is a sign, not just of his supply, but the cross is a sign of his love for you. For God so loved the world he gave. He gave. He is the generous one. He is the great giver. He gave his son as a sacrifice so that you can have freedom from sin. You can have freedom from guilt and shame because you could never pay your price. So he did because he's so generous. And so the cross represents his generosity. It represents his love. It represents his salvation so that you can trust him. You can embrace him. You can give your whole life to him, not holding anything back. So whether you're here in house or you're in your house today is your opportunity to embrace the gift of God, Jesus Christ, the work that he did on the cross for freedom of sin that you could never take care of yourself. So he so generously did. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.